the one thing I, I knew is that there would be a time where somebody came and asked me something and asked if I could do it, and I wanted to be ready. Yeah, man. I, 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 didn't, I, did not, I did not want to be that person like, oh, yeah, so I'll be like, yes. Point me, point me in the direction, I'll do it. That's it. You know, because I've seen it. I've seen people get the opportunity and not be ready, and, and it just and it might not come for a long time again. And I, and I could I, I didn't I, I couldn't wait. I, I just couldn't. I need to be ready for that opportunity at the time. season of ad blocking with Jason Dwayne Smith. We're living in a time that challenges who we are, where we stand, and where we want to be. Whether you're a CEO, a small business owner, or a local school teacher, the need to grow and evolve exists for all of us. This season of ad blocking, we explore inspiring tales of taking risks, challenging convention, and becoming brave. Stories that may inspire us or perhaps remind us we must choose our heart on the road to becoming whole. In today's episode, I speak with Justin Polk, one of the country's most prolific creators and founder of production company Invisible Collective. Our discussion reflects on the importance of being given a chance, the power of being ready when called upon, and the importance of having an impact that grows much bigger than ourselves. As a successful entrepreneur, Justin provides a rare glimpse into the world of creativity, sustainability, and trust required to achieve great things, not just now, but for years to come. I hope Justin's words help more of us find the inspiration we need to achieve our next big goals. And with that said, let's dive in. Good to see you, man. I'm super thankful that you're doing this with me. You know, we go way back. Don't tell all my dirty secrets on the podcast, man, but it's good to just see you. And and just, man, like I said before we got on, you know, you're super inspiring to me. And um, really for today, you know, well, I just want to have a conversation with you and uh, let people get a glimpse into, you know, your world, what's inspired you and, you know, really I think your whole life has been really just full of just changes and evolution and just growth, you know, from the bit I know about you from being a young child to, you know, going to high school, playing sports, going into college, and then all the professional things you've done, man. So, I mean, if you're cool with it, man, I'd just love to just start with little Justin Polk, man, the young guy, man, you know, just a little bit of, you know, talking about, you know, where you come from, man, and what life was like for you growing up and even just how you would describe yourself as a kid. I'd love to just hear a little bit about some of those early days, if you're okay with it. Yeah, that's fine. Um, I was born in Arlington, Texas, which is a a suburb of uh, Dallas, Texas, the DFW area. Uh, Some, some know it. It's where it's the home of the Cowboys stadium. Uh, It's the the home of the Rangers, Um, home of six flags, you know, grew up with, um, you know, I grew up in a fairly, uh, you know, diverse neighborhood, right? I, um, I, I grew up, my, mostly, mostly my mom, you know, my mom and dad weren't married when I was younger, but um, 
they got divorced like when I was pretty young, maybe like one or two. And um, my mom had remarried uh, for a while, and then she got divorced again. But you know, I, so I had my stepdad there, I had my father there. I had I had male male role models. They weren't in the house, but they were around. Um, and I and you know, my neighborhood was very diverse. Um, like we grew up with black, white, Asian, Latino. Everything was in my neighborhood. Um, so there was it didn't seem like very segregated at all. We all hung out with each other. We all played with each other. It was it was it was it was a good time. So growing up in Texas for me was was a lot of fun. Um, like got a good education. Went, the, went to public school for a little bit, but ended up going to private school. All, always playing sports um, in some capacity. Always trying to work. Always uh, doing some kind of artistic thing in, in, in different ways. But mostly mostly time it was usually drawing or um, doing architecture in some kind of way. It was that's that was my thing. My mom had a big inspiration in that. She always she had she worked for Southwestern Bell slash AT and T for thirty some odd years. Um, from you know, and she she always had black art in the house. She was a, she sold black art prints on the side, so or statues or something. So on the weekends, you know, she throw on that. That Ron Isley, the Isley Brothers, or something like that, on the Saturday, and people would be with some with some incense burning, and, <laughs> and we and we would and we would and, and then she would um, you know, she would have people come through the house and buy buy prints and stuff, and that was just a Saturday, you know, while we sit in the back over there sweeping and cleaning up and doing all the chores, um, with my 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 other my brothers and my older cousin, um, who lived who all, we all lived together, so yeah, I was I was definitely um very active very determined uh in terms of when i when i had a goal i always i think i always tried to meet it and i think that comes from my mom and my parents you know they always they always told me that you can you know they, they tell you that you could do better than what they did or they always set you up they set the plate right right they, they always if you had an interest my mom was very good at this if you had an interest she she's she made she let you do it like she did like one of the things that was that really that really stands out to me from my mom so for some reason, I got, I was not for some reason, I love baseball. So I was really into baseball cards and I have a pretty good memory and I memorize these guys, these peoples and these baseball players, their averages and hits and home runs. Not from that year. It might be like a, like a five year span. My mom and I would do that. And now I watch baseball at home and I would talk about it to my mom. Like, oh, this person did this. And she's like, she's like, you know what? You can stay up. Like I had a bedtime. She's like, no, you can stay up and watch and watch the World Series. Like, like you can stay and watch the whole World Series. Like it was past your bedtime, but you can stay up now because she saw my interest in it, and that's one of the things that I I try to do like now with my kids and all that stuff and pay that forward. You know, if somebody shows some interest, I try to stoke fire to that to that interest because everybody does better when they when they love something and they want it and they and they they're really passionate about it. Like you always they do better. They they're happy. They don't nobody likes doing stuff they don't they don't want to do. You know. But sometimes we, I mean, sometimes we have to do it and it builds character, but you know, what you try to do is do the things that make people happy. You have a, the best part about doing this podcast is I get to learn about my friends as well as the listeners do. So I learned a ton just right there. And a couple of things that I love to dig into with you and one you touched on already. And, and, and I was going to ask about the influence of your mom, because even you might not have even been conscious about it, but just describing your upbringing, if we were to do a word count, it sounds like mom was at least every other 10th word, you know, and that just says a lot about her, whether it be her entrepreneurial spirit as a young person, 
you know, yeah. her encouraging you and making you feel enabled and also give you a chance. And maybe that's something that I love to build on is hearing your story, Justin. It sounds like a lot of the success that you had and the confidence that you had as a young person was really built around, you know, adults or people around you that made you feel like you could do it, right? That you were capable, that you had the opportunity. And I like how you talked about how you translate that into your world. So still staying a little bit in your background, beyond your mother, man, I would just love to hear about, you know, moments in your life or people in your life that you felt like if you hadn't encountered them, if they didn't give you a chance, maybe your world and your life would be completely different today. You know, there's something about, and I talk about my mom, but I think my dad as well and, and, and had a big, well, he definitely had a big part. You know, we didn't grow up, in, I didn't grow up in the same house as him. My dad was a truck driver, so he was he was gone a lot, right? And I what I did see, though, was his determination to be there when he needed to be there. I think that was that was a big thing, right? A lot of, look, there's a, there's a stigma with the black community that dads aren't around. My dad was around. <laughs> he was there. Um, he, he might not always been able to be there because he was on the route, but he made his effort to try to figure out how to get there. Um, if, if you know, if they had me, he had to get up, like take another shift to get up earlier. He would do it. He always tried to be there for my big moments, um, and I saw that. And 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 that just that was one of the things that taught me that look, show up. You know, somebody needs you to show up. Um, that's, that's a big that's a big part of life. Um, so that that was a big influence. Um, there's a you know there's somebody who's still in my life to this day, and it's actually my private school principal. Um, his, his name is uh, Noel LeBeau, and I shouldn't even give credit to his wife, um, you know, as well, um, because they were they ran my private school, and I, and I did a lot of going back and forth between public and private. I would go I would go to public school for a couple of years, I come back to the private school, and each time they would they would welcome me with the biggest open arms, and one day. You know, I was doing that jumping back and forth, and I think I was in sixth grade, six or seven, maybe it was like sixth grade, seventh grade, something like that. And he saw my potential, and and just just in academics and sports and all this stuff. And he sits me down and goes, he goes, you know, I know there's other schools because you know, back then schools would just call your house and like be like, hey, I want you to come to school here to, to compete here, and like they find your number somehow, call you and, and talk to you after games and. And I, I want you to do this and that. And, he, you know, he, he knew what was going on. And he said to me now, he goes, you know, you can go. What type, what, what type of person do you want to be? Do you want to be somebody who's loyal? And, you know, you can hop around. It's like, I don't, it's like, it's your, it's like, it's your life. You want to hop around. That's, that's your prerogative. But he's like, it comes a time where you got it, where, you know, there's something to say about being loyal to somebody and, and loyal to a certain institution and things like that. Like, you know, we don't, we don't. Like he, and he wasn't even talking about TCA, but he was just talking about in general. Like, how do you, how do you build something if you can't, if you don't stay there, if you hop from one school to the other? And so that was a, that was a big moment too. You know, he, we had the conversation, and you know, to this day, we still talk. He's, I mean, he's considered a, a very, a very close friend. You know, and, and we, and I go home and I see them, make sure to see them and talk to them. I think he's, in, he just turned eighty something. I think he's eighty one, eighty two. But yeah, but we, I still go back to see him a little. And I love it because it's something about the high school years there. I know people say they're big formative years, yeah. but they do really shape a lot of the things that you believe. Um, while I don't have the same story, it reminds me of, and I've spoken about him on a previous podcast, but 
you know, when I was in high school, you know, I, I went to a private school, I went to a boarding school and uh, my coach, Coach Morrison, shout out to Coach Morrison. He's like, man, you better start referencing me on these podcasts, dude. But um, <laughs> I mean, and it's, it's going to lead into something I want to ask you, man, because I share it. And I, every time I talk about this dude, I, I I personally get really emotional because, you know, when I was coming out of high school, when I was coming out of elementary school, my world, JP, was like this small, meaning like I only knew my neighborhood, you know, yeah. I, I didn't know, you know, there's a, you know, in Chicago, you, you know, you don't, you don't really go outside of your area, you know, it's a pretty segregated town and, yeah. And so long story short, when I got to boarding school, he was really the first guy to, you know, help me build confidence in myself. And and that was actually through sports, you know, because unlike you, I didn't really grow up playing sports, which is why I give my kids uh, some some grace since they're not very athletic. <laughs> but I didn't grow up playing sports, so I didn't really get into it until I was in high school. And so for you, man, like. I'm really curious about the transition from high school to college because you were obviously a great athlete. You all, you, I love it. I'm going to come back to this. You talked about the drawing and the artistic mindset that you had. You grew up in an entrepreneurial home. I mean, you're also going to great educational institutions. So, you know, flash forward to when you and I met, you know, we meet at what I, for me personally, game changing institution you know, Colgate University. But for you, you probably had a lot of choices at that time because you're choosing between where you want to go to play sports, where you want to go to excel in your education, where where you might want to go to kind of develop some of your art interests. So actually, I think that's a really meaningful place to kind of discuss is what was the decision process and what was going on in your life? Because listen, some of the podcasts, I don't know people as far back as I know you, but I'm, I think it's fair to say for both of us, I mean, Colgate was a life and career shaper for us, yeah. you know? So well, I want to know what was going on in your mind and what kind of led you yeah. to, to, to decide to go to that school. Yeah, uh, before before we jump in there, I'm gonna, I'm gonna bring in one other thing that, you, that just I wanted to bring about that you said before. Now you talk about your world was like this small. I was, that, that's the other thing. I was fortunate enough to have my world expanded and just in the two cities. I also had deep roots in St. Louis, Missouri, where my mom was from. So my mom, being a, being a single mom, she would get tired of us. And every summer, she would send us off to St. Louis to stay with my grandmother. Yeah. And so I would stay with my grandmother with, and all my cousins and friends. So I had a whole other group of friends there, which which it wasn't the same as, as Texas. It was a little more, mostly black people, definitely segregated, like just kind of like Chicago. We, we stuck to our hood. Uh, shout out to U City, Missouri, University City, home of Nelly, Jason, uh, 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 Bernard Gilkey. Uh, Jason Tatum, um, and who else? Um, there's somebody else I'm missing. Uh, but yeah, that's that's who I grew up with. I actually I actually grew up with Cor- Cor- Cornelius, as we call him. Like I, mm-hmm. we, I grew up in the neighborhood with Nelly back in the day, uh, hanging out and hitting the streets and stuff like that. So it was um, so that was a, that was a that was a big part too because I was able to go there. It was a little more black, a little more hood, a little more you know, and have that side as well. So I was able to come there, have that side, and come back to Texas. I would have a little bit different edge to me, a different different kind of thought mentality, but they, but then but then still still be able to you know, go between both worlds, which I think helped me go take us back to Colgate, which I think helped me at Colgate. Um, but yes, that that um, that transition to Colgate, the biggest thing that happened to me my senior year, and this is how I got to Colgate. Um, 
I was being recruited by a lot of local schools, the TCUs, the Rice in Houston, North Texas, those those type of schools. But I really didn't want to stay in the area. And I couldn't went to TCU, which both my parents, that's where they met at. They didn't finish there, but they both met there. And I and I thought about going there and playing, but then at that time, there's a lot of big running backs in Texas, and they were all they were all transferring and going to TCU to play for Gary Patterson. And I and I just wasn't and I just did, I was like, I don't want to go to school with 18 running backs that I know from my area and then stay in. The, I was like, I kind of want to get away. Well, what happened the summer before my um, my senior year, I went to Michigan, Michigan football camp. And, uh, you know, those football camps are crazy. I, I never that was my first one. That's my first and only one I ever went to besides yeah. the, besides the ones in my area. And I stayed there for the week. Me and a couple of friends, um, one that went to Vanderbilt, one that went to North Texas. We went and. Um, I had, a, I had a great week. They put me in this running back class with all the top running backs who I had no clue who they were, but I had a great week. So much so that I had a meeting with Coach Carr. Mm-hmm. And Coach Carr, Co- Coach Carr brought me in, like, literally, like, who is this kid? They brought me in. Coach Carr goes, look, I cannot offer you a full scholarship. I, I, I can't offer a full scholarship. I've never seen you play. He said, but I can give you a, verb, a verbal partial scholarship. I was like, huh? Wait, this is just off of the work you're putting in at the camp. Yeah. Wow. Man, he's like, okay. he's like, we want to go off your partial, and if you have a great season, like, or you have this, this, maybe, hopefully we can give you a full. And so at that point, I'm like, I'm going to Michigan, but I never made it there. I, I went and saw Colgate, and and you know, I think I think I said this before, but I went. It was my birthday weekend in January, and I come out to Colgate in the middle of basketball season, try to fit it in, and um. They uh, and we had that. I think it was the first weekend. I met all you guys, and that's why I met you that first weekend. Al Houston was my host. Um, Shout out to Al. <laughs> the Reverend, the Reverend Pastor Al Houston, um, and we and I had a great time. I not only had a great time, but I saw the commitment on the football field and in the and in, in the classroom. I said, and I was like, oh, this is a this is a good institution. Oh. Y'all had that meeting. I remember Venna and all them guys got up and spoke, and I got chills. I was like, oh, they're not doing great, but they're building something. And, yeah. and I can see it. I can see they want to win. So after hearing that, I was like, I can go to school here. And I was pretty much set. I was pretty much, and I was pretty much done, done for. It's funny. It's, it's, it's really cool, man, because even though to, like, the common listener, some of this might sound, like, very, quote, unquote, sportsy, but it really is just about mindset and the way we were thinking at that time. Yeah. You know, yeah. you know, my story from yours is completely different. I, like you play with me, you know, I, I run as fast as they they so they have they have uh, the the speed ranking goes all the way from the hare down to the turtle, and every camp, me and the turtle were fighting it out for who would get <laughs> past the finish line the fastest. So I certainly wasn't in that elite class, but got my opportunity and took advantage of it but you know the mindset i think being on a team really does play a role and had a very big impact on the way i approach profession the way that i approach working with my children the way that i approach my relationships you know mm-hmm. kind of going back to the lesson you got from your principal about loyalty and mm-hmm. really respecting the relationships that you have so kind of flash forward and through, you know, the wonderful times we have playing football together, man, and 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 learning together at Colgate, you leave Colgate, and I know you did a number of things, so we won't go into all the great work that you did, but you somehow find your way 
in the advertising industry. And I'm really curious about how that happened. Essentially, yeah, like how did you get into the industry? I know you mentioned as a young kid, you were very into, you know, architecture and and really yeah. being quite creative. But how did and you learn? My first class at Colgate was was intro to architecture. It was my, okay. My first seminar. So I took that as my first seminar. Then then, then did our art history was ended up being my my other my other uh, major along social mm. social anthropology. So I, I was doing art classes all throughout school. Um, I think one of the like how I got the advertising is, is very very interesting because I don't really. By, by happenstance, because I didn't really understand advertising, you know, back then before I got into it. Um, I, my friend was like, I'm working in the agency, like whatever. He was saying this like four years before I even got into an agency. He was like, oh, yeah, I'm working at this agency. I was like, I was like, you're working at CAA? You and me? I was like, I didn't, I didn't understand what that meant uh, to me. So, you know, I worked at Reebok for a couple of years and I moved to L.A. to get into film and television. Um, and I was starting out doing things on my own. I would direct. I would direct some shorts, direct some um, branded con like content or some uh, commercials on my own for different brands, like LA-based brands. I was working a lot with the with, with the streetwear industry, um, uh, you know, working with like Hudson Jeans or Oliver People's Glasses or I mean, there's some other brands that Clay was one of the, like this. There are a lot of LA streetwear brands that I was working with out here. And I had a, I had so a wait, friend. Hold on. So wait, hold on. So you, when you, so this is good. This is good. Cause I want to yeah. make sure that actually I follow the sequence. Yeah. Cause I was aware of the Reebok, but I maybe skipped the fact that, yeah. So you were, before you got into a formal agency world, you were doing independent entrepreneurial work. If I'm hearing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I was, I had, a, I had a friend who had a photography, who had a photography studio and he would, he would have a lot of of these brands, he would shoot all their all the all the clothing and their uh, lookbooks and uh, catalogs and you know at, like uh, billboards and all that stuff. He was a photographer, so they would all come to him and say, "Hey, can you do? Uh, can we do some video or something like that?" And so he would call me and bring me in and do the video portion. Of hmm. And you got that's you got those skills. Where'd you get? You got those skills when you were in school, or that was something you were no, picking up just uh, on your own? It was, it was basically, you know. Um, I started doing the kind of doing it my, mostly doing it on my own. I, got, I I took I stopped while I was here. I knew I wanted to direct eventually, and I was I was trying I was working for producers, directors, different film companies, reality TV. I was doing it all, trying to find my way in this industry. And I took um, and I, I would take classes at UCLA, mm. classes at night, uh, intro directing, directing this, doing this, camera work, all this stuff. And I happened during that time, and this is gonna sound really Hollywood. I was playing in this um, in the entertainment basketball league. Mm. Uh, a lot of actors, producers, directors, all that stuff. I got in. I have a friend. I have a friend that was that's an actor. He got me into the league, you know. And I met and I met a lot of people through there. One of the people I was able to meet was a man named Dean Dean Kane. You know who he is. Mm -hmm. he, played, he played Superman in Lois and Clark when we were yep. younger. Uh, and Dean, me and Dean became close friends and. Um, Dean needed stuff shot for him, so he would bring me along to shoot stuff for him. And he ended up going one day, he's like, hey, I need this camera. And so he buys this camera, buys all this equipment. He goes, you just keep it. When I need it, I'll just get it from you. And basically, I never gave it. He had, he had that camera for like five minutes. Wow. Wow. Huh. So, so he literally, like, it was like $5,000, $10,000 worth of equipment that we bought. Cameras, lenses, sound machine, sound thing. And I would use that for my projects. And so I would get, I, it was like a little DSLR and I would get 
good with just shooting with it. So that's how I first started. And now then my friend Paul brought me in and I would just use that for different projects and different things. And we would plus them up, you know, some would be just more handheld, some would be have to go rent some equipment. But that's how I started getting into the game. Wow. So you so you oh that's great. <laughs> so for a young person that's listening to some of this narrative here, man. I mean, you really let me just make sure I get it. You knew what you wanted to get into. Mm-hmm. You left school, you knew you had a passion for, you know, art and film. And you also had a passion for doing it on the big stage, which is you have to be in LA to do it, right? Yeah. And what I love about the story is you invested in yourself in the process, right? Yeah. You invested in yourself in the process because a lot of times what you hear people say is which is which is needed. You know, you need someone to give you a chance. You know, you need someone to open the door. You know, you you, you need to find a job. You need to find a place to work. But it sounds like for you, you kind of said, hey, all those things are true, but I'm still young. And if I put the time and energy into learning how to develop this skill, hey, if I network properly, if I get into this thing, I'm not asking anybody for anything. That's not the goal. But if I'm around the right people and then the preparation kind of meets luck where you get a hold of this camera that unlocks what sounds like a whole world of opportunity. So I might not be capturing it perfectly, but does that sound kind of right to you, man? That whole narrative of like you really investing in yourself and then making sure that you're in the right places at the right time to achieve what you thought was important to you at that time of your life. Exactly. Exactly. I'll, yeah, I definitely invest in myself. I invested in myself when I didn't have no money to invest in myself either. Yes, sir. I mean, I think that was a, that was a big thing. It, sometimes it was like, all right, we getting close to rent. Like I, that that class costs seven hundred dollars, um, but I need to take that class because otherwise I'm not gonna be. I need I need to keep progressing, and I would just have to figure it out. And I had to, I had to hustle. And you know, at that time I was waiting tables. I was also working working at a reality company that where I transcribed I transcribed the the videos for them overnight. So I would be there. I get there at seven to seven. You know, and go home and sleep for a couple for like couple hours then go to either go to work and then go to class and like I would have to figure it out. Like I had to invest in myself and I had and I knew it was gonna struggle and and be tired and do all this stuff for a while and not be going out. Um and not playing video games, which I gave away my my uh PlayStation as soon as I moved to LA. Mm. Mm. <laughs> Haven't picked it up since. That was that was two thousand eight. Um but yeah, you know, just I had to sacrifice things and figure it out and, and like you said, invest in myself and no, because the one thing I, I knew is that there would be a time where somebody came and asked me something and asked if I could do it and I wanted to be ready. Yeah, man. I, 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 did, I did not I did not want to be that person like, oh yeah, so I was like, yes. Point me point me in the direction I'll do it. That's it. You know, because because I've seen it. I've seen people get the opportunity and not be ready and, and it just and it might not come for a long time again. And I and I could I I didn't I I couldn't wait. I, I just couldn't I need to be ready for the opportunities every time. Mm. What was, tell me the times you're in LA. LA is not an easy city to go and grow and develop as a young person. And I'm sure you knew people, Justin, we'll skip the part about, you are the most social person I know. <laughs> so I know, I know you, or you had some relationships. Hey, well, that's, 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 advice, that's another piece of advice my mom gave me when I went to Colgate. She's like, just network, network yeah. as many possible. And you, I mean, listen, I think you epitomize that, but walk me through the times when it was really hard, man. Like you're sacrificing the doors, they're not opening up all the time, man. So what was it 
And what was going on in your mind during this whole period that made you stick with it? Because you could have easily just been like, I'm not going to go to the class. I'm not going to, you know, keep, you know, yeah. working on these skills. Like, and you're also in a tough city. So what was happening in your mind to just keep keep the drive going, man? You know, I just knew what I wanted to do. I, and I liked it and I loved it. You know, I think that was a big, big part of it is I came here to figure out what I wanted to do. And once I once I got into the film industry and, re- and, and really enjoyed it, I knew that it takes a long time to, to get to make your way. And I just got to keep keep pursuing it and keep striving for the goal that I set out for myself, which was, all right, I'm going to be a director. I'm going to be a director. I'm going to produce movies and produce television, like whatever. I got I got it. And here's how I do it. I can't. It's, I'm You know, it's not an overnight success. You know, they, what they say, 15 years to make an overnight success or something like that. Mm-hmm. So it, it just it just takes a long time and I, I, I keep doing it and sure enough i had a friend he was he was he's like yeah you know it, it usually takes about 10 years before you before you really get your foot in the door here and sure enough it was like year seven or eight where i started really finding some some progress in 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 this city um but yeah i mean look sacrifice was a big big deal for me you know i I was a big video game player before i got before i came here and like i said before and i said i can't have this in my house because if I have this here, I'm not gonna, I'm gonna play it and not be doing what I'm supposed to do. That should be reading. So my cousin, my older cousin, my girl with, he lived out here. I just, I took it over his house. I was like, hey, here you go, take it, take it, and, mm. and he had it. And and you know, just things like that. Um, I didn't have a car when I first moved here because I was like, that's gonna gas and all this stuff. So I was like, let me just take the bus and ride a bike and figure out a bike. And that's what I did for my first like nine months, eight nine months here. You know, um, I didn't, you know, I had to start over interning. I knew that. Like I worked at Reebok for four and a half years, like doing a regular job of source marketing, and I had to start over again. And so I had, so I just had to intern again and not get paid. Literally, just, just I was at production companies, interning, learning the business, hearing, hearing the conversations, because I didn't know anything. I didn't know nothing. I knew nothing. So I had to start from the bottom again. Where I'm, I'm, I'm interning with twenty. I'm what was I, what was I, twenty six, twenty. I was twenty seven at that point. Maybe going twenty eight. And I'm interning with 21 year olds, 22 year olds again. You know, I'm the I'm the OG in the room. <laughs> you know, so you so you I, I just had to start over and, and figure out and I, and I and you know I didn't have an ego because I knew I, I knew where I wanted to be. And so I was like, this is this just has to be it, you know. And I think that's that was my drive, my passion was like, if I if I know where I want to be and I see a goal, I'm always gonna strive to get there, no matter how much the struggle is, because the struggle is not gonna be there forever. It's just for now. Mm. Man, that's that's oh, JP. I mean, it's hard to say. It's, it's uh, you describe it like it's so easy. It's not easy. No. Man, you're 28. You're 20. Listen, you're 28 years old. You're in LA. Temptation is abound in so many different ways. People, I mean, I mean, yeah. they, right? It's easier to wake up and just go fuck it. I'm I'm gonna yeah. do this other stuff, right? Yeah, it's, it's easy. I think another there's a couple of moments that happen that things that happened where I could have just went in a different direction. You know, I was looking for jobs uh, constantly within the industry and stuff. And I had this recruiter and, and I was with this recruiting company. They would send me out. They would send me jobs. And one time they sent me a job to work as an assistant for a sports agent. Um, a good job. At, I think it was at CAA. And I, and they wanted to set the interview. And and I, I we were setting the interview and things were happening. And then at some point I, I, I stopped myself. I go, is this what I want to do? Hmm. And and because I because I know myself, I was like, if I get this thing, I'm gonna I'm gonna like some masters. I'm gonna, I'm gonna do well at it. I'm gonna keep I'm gonna keep going. Um, 
and I, so I sat back. I wrote the recruiter back. I said, "Hey, not for me. Thank you. Um, thanks, thanks a bunch, and you know, whatever." And never heard from the recruiter again, obviously, because they were pissed. But <laughs> I didn't take the interview because such I was probably a good candidate for the job. I was working for a sports agent in the, in the NHL side too. Um, money so, was probably good. Money was stable. You yeah, know? I mean, stable benefits, all the, all the stuff, all those things. Um, which I didn't, which you know, didn't have benefits at the time. Or uh-uh. I had it for a second. I got rid of. I didn't have it for like a year and a half, almost two years. Until my until my wife was like my my current wife when I was dating at the time she's like yo you know get your benefits back and and that's a whole different story. But I got them back and the next four days later I was in the day I got them back on November first, November fourth I was in the hospital from the pneumonia for, for a week. No way. No so that's way. A whole, that's a whole different story. <laughs> so it's like God blessed me by by getting that insurance right on time. Um, so, you, so you stick with it. Yeah. You don't stick go with. Go on different a totally different career path. Yeah, yeah. If you make that choice, I mean, I mean, I'm probably, I'm certainly still talking to you. You would be great at what you did, but we wouldn't be talking about something that I'm really curious about. And Justin, I want you to fill in the gap for me. I don't want to try to narrate the story, but the work that you're doing with Invisible Collective to me from the very beginning, from when you got this going, I've been passionate about it. I've been watching you do what you do. And first, man, Listen, I'd just love for you to, A, just tell us what Invisible Collective is and what your role is within the organization. And then maybe just kind of talk to me a little bit about how you kind of transitioned from that period we were talking about into yeah. starting something that I know you're very passionate and committed to. Yeah. Um, one one thing, I don't think I answered your question from before. I was just thinking about that. The, the final straw that got me in advertising. And, I, and then I'm, I'm, and I'm, I'll go from that into, into Invisible. Yes, sir. Um, doing all that stuff that I've been doing for that agency, that my friend's studio, photography studio agency thing. I got a call from another friend, my friend I was telling you about earlier, who worked at the agency. He's like, hey, I have, you know, I want you to meet my boss. He's, you know, we're looking for people like you, like makers, like come in and just kind of can do stuff and within within this agency. And I think you'd be, I think you'd be a good fit here, but I need you, I want you to meet my boss. And I got that from him and another friend who had just started working there as well. So I get an interview. With with, uh, with with this guy named Vic Palumbo, uh, he's, he was head of production over at over at Deutsch. We go in there, we meet, we talk, great things, great stuff. He and in the, in the, in the meeting he goes, you know, you're great. I don't have a job right now for you though. I was like, oh okay. He's like, yeah. He's like, you know what? He's like, when I do, I'll, I'll, he's like, if I do, I'll give you a call. I was like, cool. Went in. That was that was like in September. I don't know September. Fast forward. Um, literally, what was that? Probably about nine months later, and I just literally just got just got married. Uh, one of my honeymoon came back was um was like doing something. I think I met. I'm I'm actually shooting something. I'm actually shooting with a friend. We're we're in my friend Jared. We're shooting it. We're in Texas. We're shooting at uh Shawn Michaels Ranch. Mm-hmm. Uh, Shawn Michaels. The WWE star, WWF, my generation star. Mm-hmm. And we're shooting something for him. It's just, it's for uh, Canon Spider. We're shooting like this little spot for him. And I get a call on there. He's like, hey, Justin. I'm like, hello? He's like, Big Palumbo, you remember me? I was like, Big. He's like, I'm doing it. I was like, oh, Big. He goes, he goes, I got a job. He goes, I got a job. You want it? And I look around at, at all, at the, where I'm at with my my two person crew. 
but on the, on the ranch in the middle of Texas, and I'm like, yeah, I'll take it. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm good. I'm like, let's do, let's do it. So we do that. But anyways, um, I uh, so I got that job eventually, and while I was there, I noticed that I took I took it all in. That was my film school, like using all the industry, using everything we had there. But I noticed pretty early on that I wanted to, I wanted to make sure that I directed. I got hired as an internal producer who also directed things internally. And I noticed that the industry wasn't very diverse in general. So I said, how do we make, how do I make my part? Because if, if I'm gonna do something that changes the industry, I can't just do it inside this agency because it's, that's just one small cog in this bigger you know, ecosystem. And so I said, you know, creative is king in advertising. And that's how we make change. So I'm gonna change it from the outside in. And that's what that's what the thought for Invisible was born. You know, and Invisible um collective is based on the um Ralph Ellison, you know, book Invisible Man, how we're all how we as minorities are seen by well, really black people are seen as the invisible people within society. Um so you know, we wanted to give power to the, to those words when we when we when we speak it when, when it's heard throughout the industry. So invisible mission is to represent the underrepresented. And that's not saying we're not we're not inclusive or exclusive exclusive towards anyone. We actually just want to see the advertising industry and, and the uh, the arts or entertainment in general reflect what the world looks like. Give it give an accurate portrayal. Like it's not all white male, it's not all white female, it's not all black. There's there's nuances and people who and uh, across all genders, all minorities, all backgrounds, you know, all abilities. Um, that can work in this industry. That can that can direct. That can direct or make or be creative. Uh, it's, it's not just one person to speak for everybody. Everybody has a voice, and they everybody should speak to their authentic, true voice. So I mean, that's that's that was a real reason why Invisible started because we wanted to make a footprint and make a uh, make a dent in the industry in that way. So you, so first, I want to applaud the fact that you started this company and the work that you're doing. Um, and I won't keep you forever, but if you allow a little more time here from so so there's someone listening to this jp and they have a passion they believe they can make an impact on the world and guess what they might be young they also might be a little bit more mature you know and so stay with me on this because i would love you to give some details so they are in the position where they are at the deutsches of the world Mm -hmm. and they have a big title yeah okay yeah they're working on some great projects, JP. They they have three boys just like you. They 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 they've got some bills to pay. They got some insurance to get covered. They have all these things now, okay? And they're struggling with how do I leave this thing, which is good, which is good, right? I'm doing I'm doing well. I'm being recognized. I like my work. With how do I leave that and move into something that I'm very passionate about? And to some degree, I feel like I'm destined to do. So beyond the philosophy and the mindset behind it, just walk me through, like, tactically, like, well, what did you have to overcome or manage to be able to just, like, responsibly make a change like that? Because a lot of people have these ideas, yeah. but they don't really know, you know, how. To, and I'm not asking you to give the textbook on it, but shed a little light for someone that might be on this journey that that you were on when you did this. Yeah, yeah. I, you know, I think you need to just have a little bit of a. You have to have a plan, right? I think. I think. I for myself, I had to have a plan. Um, mm-hmm. As a as a producer, I was like, okay, what can I do? How can I make this work? You know, 
um, I knew that I could still get some work outside of my outside my normal job, right? That was a big thing. Um, you so know, you I knew I was at Deutsch, and you were and you were kind of side hustling a little bit. Yeah, side hustling, or and or I knew that I if I I started putting fillers out, like how can I how can I freelance or work for, or work something out or do these other things to make some money at the same time. You know, I think the other part is is that I was a little older. You know, I did have a wife. I had some support there, right? A little bit. That that definitely helped. You know, she she was able to, you know, to kind of hold it down um, as well. You know, I left I left at the time when when I knew that I started invisible at the time where I knew that I was gonna be. I said, okay, I had a freelance job, so this freelance job is gonna give me more opportunity to start this start this position. So as soon as I stopped working, I had like a week or two off, but then I started another job where I wasn't it wasn't like it didn't require my full attention as a as a nine to five would because I was, it was more of a freelance so I can kind of get in and get out where I need to be um, and still do the same amount of work and make and still do a great job but it was just different um my dog was growling uh, <laughs> um, but yes you know I think I think those things definitely helped like I like it, it would have been, been a lot harder if I didn't have those things not saying I wouldn't have done it but it definitely would have been tough um as well so I so I just I just made sure I looked at the plan like I looked at my situation. I think that's where everybody has to do. They have to look at their own situation. What can I do in order to achieve this goal? And then go for it in that way, right? Like plan it out. Know know what you can can and can't do, and and go for it. Maybe you can't quit your job right away to go for that passion, but maybe you can start doing a couple hours a night um, to start off, or get or plant the seeds, or just getting the LLC made, or or getting the deck made, or figuring out the full plan of that. At the same time, go out, figure out who players are and, and pitch it and and who might be interested. You know, get a little investment money might help. It doesn't have to be a lot. Get enough to, to hold you over for a little bit. You know, man, that, and usually that comes from friends and family, to be honest with me. And like, look, I didn't have a lot of investment investment money. I, I think I think we started with twenty five thousand dollars, mm. <laughs> you know, mm. as a company. Twenty five thousand dollars, people. That that is what started this organization I, that sounds unfucking believable <laughs> like i mean really that that's what it wow that's crazy yeah. that's crazy yep. Yep, about twenty five thousand, and we just we just figured it out um you know we we had a couple brands had a couple people i met and we just started shooting we shot something within our first um we had some we did some with whole foods was our first thing we ever did and then we did a then we did a brand video for uh this comp this uh gee company called fourth and heart and then we did a lot of music videos. <laughs> we did a lot of other stuff. Just kind of get started, and that's how we just slowly made the progress. Like big, trying to get bigger project after bigger project. Until now, we know we're getting projects coming in at at six hundred thousand million dollars a project. You know, like like that come through. And and look, it, it took a lot, but it just it just takes time. It's not easy to build a company. It's it's, it's not for the faint heart. You got a lot of stuff that you not used that you don't know about. I didn't know anything about like back rooms and the finance and the taxes and all that stuff. But I still don't know everything, but I know more than I than I uh, more now than what I've had to. And I've also learned that I had to hire people to take care of that stuff <laughs> when we when we were ready. And and that's the other thing is being able to think ahead, right? You have to. Well, we couldn't always afford the person, but we actually bought the person before we could afford them. <laughs> Sometimes, like we brought somebody in, like. All right, we're bringing you in. We're just gonna hope, hope we're gonna, we know we're gonna grow because of you. And we did, we would, we would each time our hires, we grew, we grew substantially to uh, 
for the next level. What is as a and now for folks that are listening, it they check you out, they go to LinkedIn and they see Invisible Collective and they see co-founder. So who is who who are the people that were with you when you started this? Because it, yeah. it wasn't just a single man show, right? Oh no, not even a single man. It's a one we got we got we got women up in there as well. Uh Mel Jones, Melissa Jones, she goes by Mel. Um She's a uh, she was a producer mostly uh, starting out her career. Now she's now she's directing as well, uh, big time director doing big things. Um, she's produced about five films. Some of your favorites, uh, if you've seen um, Dear White People, is one of them that she did, um, which was, which was the feature film part. Um, she did Burning Sands, which is on which is on Netflix. If you saw that, she produced that um, along with other films. Um, I think she she did Shirley, which is another film. Uh, she um, did uh, Love. I think Love Actually um, was that the name of it? The, um, mm-hmm. Angel's movie. Sorry, um, Angel Williams movie last. Angel Christie Williams movie last year. Uh, so she she's got films that she produced for a lot of first time directors, big directors that you that you know now. Uh, Gerard McMurray, who, who I think he did the, the Last Purge recently, and. Um, and then herself as a director, she directed this thing called Lamert Park that was that went to Sundance. Um, so she she's she's a, a super smart uh, person, you know, knows her, her stuff about the industry. So we have her. Then we also have um, Stephen Love Jr. Uh, I I called Stephen Doctor Love Jr. as we call him, and he is a producer uh, only, and he and he's produced. Um, some films with Stephen Cable, who directed who, the new Transformers, which came, which came out last week, I think. Stephen Cable, that, they did their first film together. He's direct, he's produced a movie that's coming out this summer called They Clone Tyrone on Netflix with Jamie Foxx, John Boyega, Tiana Paris. You know, and he just brings, he's super smart. So it's just brings a lot of ideas, a lot of, a lot of uh, strategy, a lot of uh, connections. And those are two people that uh, started the company with. And, you know, Stephen was, I think he was 20, was he 27 at the time? And you know, he but he was young, but he was just he just had it. He just, I just knew what he was talking about. Like everything he said was like, okay, he gets it. And so we us together, we make a we we form really well. We gel really well together. And I wouldn't ask for any other partners to be honest with you. What tell what's the importance of having the right partners when you start something like this? Yeah, I mean, I think that's everything. To be honest with you, you can have a you can have a partners that are. Um, that are you know good with money, good with this, good with that. But if you guys can't, you don't, you don't always have to agree. I think if you can't communicate, I think having a good being able to uh, communicate correctly with everybody, and to be able to sit back and say, you know what, I thought my idea was the best, but it's not. And I always say to try to find people who are smarter than you, you know, mm-hmm. um, because there's there's areas where Mel and Steven are definitely way smarter than I am, and I can they come back to me and say, I was like, okay, that's good. That's like I thought I had it, and I didn't have it. Um, and be able to, to, to take a seat back and understand that that you're not always going to be right, and even though you think your idea is the best, it might not always be the best because because you know we all have egos, we all have, we all we're all prideful. But I think you know sometimes you just literally have to take a step back and say I cannot be prideful about this. I need to see what's best for the business, what's best for everybody, and not just what's best for me. Mm. And so a good partner will will be able to, to to lift you up and tell you that, and then also you know. You know, be able to tell you when you're right and tell you when you're wrong. It's key, man. Two, two, two more questions for you, and then yeah. uh, 
This is so good. Um, so, you know, what are some of the things you're doing to take care of yourself? You know, because it's not just the work. You know, you also have to have a, a, a well-balanced life. And, and you certainly have to try to stay healthy mentally and physically to yeah. just be able to get up and do the work that you do. So what are some of the things that you're championing to just kind of keep yourself in a good physical space to kind of endure and, and stay ahead? Yeah, I, I think that's a, a, a huge part of uh, all of this. I think, you know, when you start on a company, you're so focused on just getting it right and doing the right things and working hard. It's like you work 20, you, there's no, there's really no downtime. Like there's downtime when you make it, but, or when you're with your family and stuff like that. But no matter, so you're always working because when you started out, it, it, it's, it's never ending. You can, you can work, you can work 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Um, I think what I had to realize eventually uh, during that time was that I perform better if I'm in better health and I need to work out. So I will work out um, in the mornings. Um, I try to get, I try to, every, I try to some kind of workout. At first it was, you know, uh, you know, I was doing a lot of Peloton, a lot of that stuff, but then I realized I needed more strength, strength training and stuff like that. So now I, I try to strength train about four times a week. And then swim the swim the rest if I have to, or and then one day off. So usually I try six days a week, um, and so so that's what I've been doing over for the last about, about the last year. Before that, the year was was a lot of Peloton and doing those workouts, stuff like that. But I always try to find time to work out in the mornings um, before I start my day. Um, whether that's right, like sometimes some and sometimes that's come in the middle of my day. But I always try to get my workout in. Uh, once a day, and I think the, the biggest change over the last year has been the, the, the eating, um, the, the eating because it was it was, you know, I think I, I started tossing out a lot of those things that didn't that didn't I didn't need uh, the too much sugars, too much uh, bread. So I started you know focusing on uh, just my my healthy eating habits, which is more you know vegetables, um, more good fats, you know less less dairy in my life like all less sugar and all that stuff. So I think that's, that's been a, a real focus probably since about last August, um, I, I, I main focus of mine. And it's just, and I feel a thousand times better. A thousand times better. I think I have more energy now than I had back then. Um, you know, and, and the other things that helped, I think my my wellness and my mental state is uh, is also spending time with, with, with the family and kids. It's because, you know, they come home, you don't have very much time with them. They come home, they're here in the morning, they're here at night. In their school between, so, and you know, I think what I try to do now is, and sometimes I'm not always great with this because you know I still got stuff to do, but when they try when they get home, uh, I try to I try to shut shut it down at the same time because I have I just have like two or three hours with them. Uh, I try to. And it doesn't always work like that because sometimes I got deadlines, I got to get stuff out. But for the most part, when they get home, I try to get them home. Or if I'm doing something like, oh, I'm coming here, we come in here, we talk. They come to the office, they talk with me. Um, we, we, you know, we do stuff, they, they sit down and they might, I might, I'll turn, I might turn the basketball game on. We talk about the basketball game, you know, while I'm still trying to finish up the last, the last little bit. But I, I definitely try to make that time to, to spend with them. And then my weekends, you know, my weekends are for me. I try to make sure they're for me. Um, there was a time where I would try to do work over the weekends, but I, I try to keep those weekends as free as possible of any kind of work unless I unless it's something that you know sometimes there's there's exceptions there's always gonna be exceptions so we you make room for the exceptions but you don't let them take them take over so love it I love it yeah you gotta 
I mean, I, I, I don't like using the word balance because I don't know if that is an appropriate word. And I don't know if we all know what balance is, but um, but I love the full circle nature of what you said. We started this conversation with a discussion about your parents, your mom, her being a, a rock in your life, you know, your dad being a different type of rock. Right. And also really supporting and showing up for you. And now you have an opportunity to achieve your dreams and your goals as a father and, and what that means to you and really how that impacts your ability to excel and achieve the goals that you want to achieve. So the last question I have really is around goals. You know, you're now five years into uh, Invisible Collective, uh, you know, 20 years or so into just being one of the more prolific, you know, creators in our industry. And you're doing something now that is with the higher order is actually intended to create real meaningful change and impact in our industry that has long escaped us. So I just wanted to close with whether it be at Invisible Collective, whether it be in your home, whether it be elsewhere in your life. Talk to me about what the next five years looks like for you and what would you like to achieve and what will really make you feel fulfilled as a wonderful, smart entrepreneur, business person and creative in our industry. Well, look, I think the biggest thing for this in general would be that we make an impact that outlives me if you're doing it right, right? Um, that's what I hope in, in, in the end. It's like this impact that we make, that we change, it, it, it starts with us, but, you know, if Visible Collective goes away when uh, in 20 years or five years or 10 years or when I, when I pass or a partner passes or something like that, that is to, that, that the industry feels its impact and what it did for change in terms of uh, creating more opportunities for, for everybody. Um, you know, five years from now, uh, as a company, as, as a, you know, as for myself, you know, I, I think as a company, we, I like to see Invisible be, um, be a lot more main, mainstream uh, in things we're doing on, on, on the creative side, whether that's uh, more, more films, television, um, you know, just be creative. You know, who knows what who knows what the uh, future holds with, with with the AI thing. But you know, be a, be a leader in the in in that as well. We have to be figure figuring it out and and you know being part of the tech because you know it's it's here. So why not get why not learn it? Um, uh, that's as a company we 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 definitely want to be. Um, I mean, for those who know an industry, uh, a, a new age version of anonymous content or radical media. Or, or you know, somebody, somebody like that. We want to be that that next generation of those companies. That's that's around forever. If um, and that can outlive, outlive us all. On a personal front, you know, I'm I'm looking to be. You, you, I I've been doing this for a little bit, um, and I still haven't gotten my first feature off the ground. I think that's that's I'm looking I'm looking to think, figure out that first feature film, and to hopefully be uh, rocking in that arena. There's there's television and film on that side. Uh, and lifting my name up as well, and then you know hopefully um, what and uh, sorry another back to the, as a company another thing we do is a lot of mentoring and, and building up uh, directors on our collective and hopefully we we can say in five years from now these thirty these thirty to fifty directors or creatives have come have come through our pipeline they might not be working with Invisible but they've come through our pipeline and we help them grow because we don't need that we can't we can't host everybody we can't do everything. There's, there's there's a lot of companies out there that can host these people. They should they should be they should be picking them up. I love it, man. I love it, man. JP, 
Justin Polk, co-founder of Invisible Collective, a longtime industry leader, inspirer, executive, creator, maker, and father of three. I mean, we didn't talk about the boys, but man, there's some killers out there, man. Some wonderful, (laughs) amazing children, man, that can do everything just like their dad. And of course, man, a, a wonderful husband as well that just lives in a great home and, and tries to do what's right, man. So listen, I'm happy to know you. I'm happy to have you. That's five years too. That's the five year plan. I can still be a great husband. Yeah, man. That's that's mine. That's that's mine. That's my that's my 24 hour plan every day. How, how, how do I get? How do I just get in, incrementally better? Incrementally better, man. But uh, I appreciate you, man, and thank you a ton for just making the time on this. I, I really do. I know you got a lot going on, so I appreciate you, man.